So Thanksgiving is over now. It's come and you know, gone. Anybody yeah. that's listening to this, you know, we're recording it the night before Thanksgiving. But psychically, through the astral network, we're far in the future. And uh, Thanksgiving's over. And we're, we're thinking about just other holidays. A lot of us risked getting infected to go and be with our families because after a long year, you know, you're at the breaking point. How are y'all's relationships with your relatives? Do you have relatives that you want to even hang out with over the holiday? Uh, eh. <sighs> iffy. I think the answer is pretty obvious for me. Yeah, your parents are just complete yeah. jerks. And Kennedy, I mean, you have a you you've said it's on air complicated you have a complicated relationship with your mom. Yeah. During this holiday season. And I don't have a ton of family that I like to spend time with in general or anything. Do they want to spend time with you? Because you're you're a very cool, you know, individual. So is it more like your relatives are reaching out to you and you're like, oh, I'm busy? Um, eh, at this point, I mean, it's been a long time of like me not really engaging with a lot of it. So I don't know. I mean, for my family, <laughs> I mean, it's, we're all just exhausted of relying on each other for things. And I think just whenever anybody in our family gets a measure of independence, they're just like, I got to get out of here. I don't want to <laughs> see, I don't want to see you guys. Whenever anybody in the family starts to do well, they immediately disengage from the rest of the family. Not, a lot of my family's not like that at all. They do big holiday stuff. Yeah. Especially on my dad's side, but, uh, but not this year. Most of them did, you know, I know that, that's like a decision that a lot of people are going a lot of ways on. I didn't know if some of them were still going to just say, fuck it, we're having Thanksgiving. Because it's such a big deal, you know, for the people that it matters to. Like, you know, the, you know the type, yeah. the people that are just every single year. It's just like, oh, as, as Thanksgiving approaches, it's like two weeks in advance. They're, you know, prepping things. A week out, families arrive. You know what I mean? Like, are you ever, do you ever wish that you had that kind of relationship with your relatives or is that, do you feel like that's artificial? It's super artificial. April, you and your, <laughs> do you have, do you feel like you have a local family in Montana yet? Or is it just you making out doing PDA in Montana? The problem with the global pandemic is that it's very hard to make friends. This is the worst problem oh. with the pandemic. And I, I don't know. I think that we should stop doing everything to halt the pandemic so that I can have more friends. I, <laughs> April, April, I would wager that you're now, I mean, Kennedy really laid this to us around the time we did our 100th episode. And I still don't believe it on the same scale that Kennedy does. But in some small, limited aspect, April, you are famous. I, I, I guess so. It doesn't feel like it, but... Do you, like, like just objectively... If you were in a car accident, we could probably raise a few grand from your go for your GoFundMe. <laughs> you're a fa like you're a famous person yeah. in a very in a very small aspect, you know, limited, you know, way. On the lower end of F-list Twitter celebrity. Yes, yes, you're a, you're. A, I would say we're D minus. But um, there's but there's movement. There's there's yeah. chance for movement. I would say. But here's the thing, April. Objectively speaking, you probably have more friends than you ever have in your life. Yeah, that's that's true. Just through people who are aware of you in a parasocial way. I have fake. I have fake sure. friends you on the internet. Friends. That I don't even know real fake friends. Real, you have real, real fake friends now. <laughs> I have real fake friends. This is everything I've ever wanted. I, I thought this was a super <laughs> profound point. Kennedy pointed out that they're an exception to this, but for ninety-nine percent of people. This is like the most friends that, that you'll ever have. Just 
but it's not real in the same way that like your real friends are. Yeah. It's just like people checking off about that's that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, it is kind of weird to be like heavily involved in this internet media landscape at a time of the pandemic and it's kinda of like, well, I, I mean I'm actually still doing my thing and <laughs> meeting lots of people and it's all yeah. virtual, but actually like it takes the stress off like we were starting to think about things like touring and in-person appearances and stuff like that, like we were hoping to roll out this year. And as fun as that stuff would have been to like, you know, do recordings with people in the studio or to, you know, go on tour with like a cool show that you might know or something right. like that. As cool as that would have been, it's a lot less stress to just turn on a webcam. So <laughs> there is that. I mean, there, there's, there's weird aspects of this thing. Is the pandemic really pushing people apart? Or is it actually like the catalyst that we needed in a time of great loneliness to bring people together in some ways? I don't know. It's interesting. Goodness. Yeah, but, it really is. <laughs> but these holidays, it's definitely it's there's there's definitely a tax on the sociality, even if we want to give credit to maybe there's some aspects that are okay for some people are improving or whatever there's definitely this tax that's you know being taken on the people for whom the familial holiday is a big deal with this pandemic like yeah, you know I mean, coronavirus is like absolutely like limiting what you can do and even if some people are like make you know did they just made the call to just say fuck it i can't take it anymore and they went to thanksgiving some of those thanksgivings are going to be super spreader events and then those people are definitely going to be reconsidering whether or not they're going to do christmas you know what i mean like man people are like a few days like it's hard for me because there are a lot of people who you know i like a lot that are like listen i work retail and people fucking cough on me all the time like people are just being gross around me all the time i'm exposed to this shit every day and I can't go see my, I can't go expose myself one more time. Honestly, I get it to an extent, uh, to a large extent. And we have, as a show, we've talked about all of us hanging out in person during the COVID. Yeah. Just because, hey, none of us are like high income people and the airplane rates are, you know, fucking discounted. And we're mm -hmm. like, hey, this is something that all of us could manage. Despite that being like an incredibly dangerous thing. But at the same time, there are people right now who are like a week from making the worst decision they'll ever make in their life. Just statistically, there's somebody, yeah. they might not listen to this podcast, but there's just somebody on Twitter that will, for the rest of their life, wish that they had not like made the decision that they're making now. I think it that there's definitely nuance to this subject, which is one of like the issues that like this discussion is having right now, especially like on the online sphere. Whenever you talk about like the dynamics of like hanging out with people during the pandemic, it's like you're basically supposed to not do anything at all never socialize like not even like give your roommate a hug but then on the other hand like if your boss asks you to go to work and your job happens to involve like tickling people's feet all day or yeah. whatever then like you just do that and you tickle like 200 people's feet in a day regardless of whatever exposure risk that comes with and so that like sort of dynamic of like oh like these two things both completely make sense is supposed to like, I don't know, this is like how a lot of people are viewing it. Like, yes, it's perfectly fine for me to do whatever capitalism requires in terms of like exposing myself to harm, but exposing myself to harm in order to enjoy life is completely unacceptable. That feels like some twisted capitalist logic to me. I'm not gonna lie. 
everybody listening to this podcast, there's a chance that Mary Hollywood listens to this episode and she'll be the exception. But almost everyone who's listening to this podcast has made a gamble with COVID. It's because it's been a whole freaking year. It's been, right. I, I don't even have to say freaking anymore because we're on the podcast. It's been a whole fucking year of being inside. And there's been some point that you and a friend have been like, hey, to hell with this. I got to get out of here. Right? Is there anybody listening that can say, unless they are the partner of a deeply immunocompromised person, they've never left the house once? Come on. And that doesn't mean that it's good or bad. It just means like, should Thanksgiving be our line where we draw our moral boundary? I, I don't it definitely seems like there were some takes that were a little excessive. Maybe it's worse because there's so many other people making that decision that you're making it even worse. I will say it's it's a scale of things, right? Because like if your Thanksgiving dinner is going to be like you and five family members having just a nice meal that you haven't had all year, you know, anything like this, just sitting around the table, having a good time and not doing anything too like exposure heavy. That's not the same as like, there have been people that, you know, obviously had like the big Thanksgiving that you would normally have with like 40 family members. And the problem is, is like you're cramming it in too close at that point. And I'm not saying a lot of people did this, but there were people like doing that. And at that point, like, this is where I say, like, you got to have some nuance. You can't just come after with pitchfork the person who's like I'm, I can't take it I've been in my apartment for like this whole year and I have hardly seen anyone yeah. I'm gonna go see a few friends at Thanksgiving yeah. you can't compare that the same way to the people who are obviously doing something wildly irresponsible and like when alcohol and stuff obviously gets involved that even more so you know people who might be taking the right precautions might suddenly slip up and suddenly everybody's clinging to each other on the couch you got a problem yeah. But I mean, Kennedy and April, you're both very fortunate that you are in habitation situation where you're with your partners. So imagine if you weren't, right? And there are lots of people who are doing that. And can you logically say that you would go in in front of a mirror and be like, yeah, it's Thanksgiving, but we're not going to do this because there's public health risks. I mean, like, like Kennedy was saying, there's a difference fundamentally between like what my partner is doing, which is just the two parents and the two kids coming together. And my partner's the only one that doesn't even live there. There's a difference between that and people who are having like 25 family members over. And that is obviously ludicrous and should not, you shouldn't do that. This pandemic has beaten us the fuck down. And it's true. We've been telling people to stay home instead of the obvious solution of paying them to stay home. And moral support doesn't, doesn't help anything. Yeah. And listen, like, I think there just is a difference between a human being. We we are all, I know, you know, it being a left-wing show and yada, yada, but we're all engineered for risk. Human beings make calculated risks all the time. You get in your car, sure. on your highway, like, like conservatives think that we just aren't able to conceive of this, but like, we're all adults. We understand we take calculated risks with our lives for the sake of the economy or for our personal happiness or for any reason at any time, right? And and that's just a part of life and being alive. But also, it's just because you know everyone else is doing it right now that the health risk becomes very elevated. And yeah. I don't have a perfect, we, there's no perfect answer for that. Like, we're not going to make a judgment as a show. Again, I think this is where nuance comes into play, um, especially I'm speaking. A spreader event, you know? <laughs> And I, I'm speaking as an immunocompromised person. Um, so like I'm taking a lot of precautions this year, but I have made a few small exceptions and I considered whether or not to make Thanksgiving an exception. And I decided not to. First of all, it's because our state just recently went into lockdown because cases are really high. That alone is kind of enough. 
but also uh, somebody that I know that I would have potentially wanted to see has also been recently potentially exposed and is waiting for a COVID test. So like, obviously, I'm not getting together with that person. You know what I mean? Like, but I think is everybody thinking as clearly about the path of exposure and stuff like that? No. And we know that like contact tracers and stuff can't even keep up. They're calling people as fast as they can to tell them that they've been exposed or that they pro probably have coronavirus and they still can't keep up. Yeah. I was looking for jobs earlier, like a few weeks ago, and the city and state are paying exuberant rates for contact tracers. Like it's $20, $30 an hour for contact tracers just because they want as many people as possible. And the current infrastructure is not enough to keep up with everybody going every which way all the time. Right. These political figures, they make things just consistently worse. <laughs> uh, despite as bad as all of this has been, they've stretched things out and other places in the country are having their lives back. They're going to movie theaters. You know, I've got to go and go out with a gas mask on to go see Tenet, which let me just say was not as good of a movie as I was expecting from Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Let's get it together. And um, it, it's just a, a terrible pain in the ass. We can't get anything done. I mean, China has already moved on in its national consciousness to a post-COVID era. Yeah, it's because Republicans are just the worst. Like, not even just yeah. the cases. The Chinese people sort of collectively have psychologically moved on. Imagine not having to think about COVID for an entire day, an entire week, an entire month. Like, you're just, it's done. We could be there. We could be there, but we're not because of Republicans sabotaging the, every step of the process. This could literally be like, like, remember the swine flu? There are other people in the world that are just laughing. Sure. You remember COVID, you know, yeah. in, in Vietnam and New Zealand? They're like, that was weird. Can, can you imagine across the world, there are still idiots that they just won't wear masks. South Dakota held a biker festival because the governor was so greedy for <laughs> tourist dollars to her shithole state, her shitty one horse entire state that she was like, she's gleefully killing the citizens of her state by holding damn Sturgis up there and making a big show of, I won't have any federal mask mandate in my state yet. Great. It's Jesus just, fucking Christ. <laughs> People have said conservatism is a death cult, but this exemplifies it in the strongest way. Yeah. And we've got the same problem in Georgia. And I think that I think Trump killed off a lot of Republicans this summer, man. Like he just was they were just so bad on this issue, like people in nursing homes. And, you know, I've got elderly relatives. People in nursing homes have been getting wiped out across America. And we talk about groups that just haven't had the media advocacy. Weirdly enough, senior citizens, I don't think that we've raised enough of an alarm bell about how bad this damn virus no. was on old people in America because they've been getting rocked with this shit. It's terrible. And it's a lot of Republicans. Like, it's a lot of boomers that we got such a bad review. We got such static last time we brought this up. But just to bring it to a full loop, so many of these boomers voted for this. And it's a shame. It sucks. Yeah, it, it really fucking does. Yeah. Um, has anyone really, like, considered that closely yet? I mean, Trump lost by a pretty thin margin. Yeah. Is that margin thin enough that it might just be because of the, like, 250,000 plus people that aren't here anymore because of his mismanagement? Just wondering. 
I think some people crunch the numbers and statistically the margin of votes in Georgia is slim enough such that if the people who died of COVID didn't die, it might have gone red. If Donald Trump had just been competent on this virus, he would absolutely still be president of the United States. Well, yeah, and I mean, that's that's bigger than just even like deaths and stuff. That's also just on the level of like if he had just sent the checks or gotten anything done, right? Like just anything. Rachel Kahn here in the house with us, dropping in passionately late. What's up? Hello. Um, I don't even have a good reason. Just ADHD. No, listen, this is a topic that is actually good uh, to hear from. How is your family dealing with Thanksgiving's over now? How is your family dealing with the holidays? How are they, what do they do on Thanksgiving? Traditionally, we have a giant party and invite all of our friends and it's like 70 people. This year, we are doing our immediate pod, uh, which is six people so it is the house that i live in and also it is the other house our daughter lives in so that's like we're you know a like unit statistically there is someone who is making the worst decision of their life this weekend by going and doing this family event yeah we are also uh significantly limiting the amount of time we're going to be there and wearing masks no but listen i mean even with all of that Mm-hmm. Like there, I'm just saying, statist- statistically, yeah, somebody, somebody will get caught. But you know, people don't know that socialists understand this. We're all human beings; are all wired to take risks. And because it's been a uniquely stressful year, there are people who those family bonds are incredibly important to. And I think that when we make these these arguments, we sometimes leave that out. Yeah, you know, we're in this really impossible situation, right? Because we are simultaneously telling people that they need to risk their lives to go to work every day for the sake of making money. And we need to just live our lives like nothing is happening, you know, during the 60 hours a week we're working. And then in the rest of the time in our free time, what little of it we have, we're supposed to, you know, completely isolate ourselves. And I mean, that's, that's not a fair ask, you know, people aren't going to abide by that in the same way that providing for people sustains societies and just in the sense of stability. If we want people to stay home during an unstable time, we have to pay them. Otherwise, people are just going to be be making selfish choices because why not? Everything else is fucked. The government's being selfish. Mm-hmm, exactly. When your leaders are being selfish, like, why not you? Yeah. I want to talk about the war on Christmas just from that perspective. Just the idea of the war on Christmas that we've just been sold. Now that we're talking about, we spend all this time talking about, this is what an actual war looks like, just in terms of the terrifying life and death decisions that regular people are making now about like the risks that they're taking to be with their fucking relatives during yeah. a national crisis. Uh, and it should, I, I, it should just make all of this bullshit about Starbucks cups look so bloodless and so sociopathic. Everybody that's ever tweeted about a Starbucks cup and called that a war, we should just take them through the streets and whip them with kudzu until they have welts all over. 
There's a prominent conservative theory that people in America like socialism because they've never experienced true hardship in their lives, whatever the fuck that means. Right. But I think as with everything conservatives say about liberals, it's more applicable to them because they have never experienced war coming to American shores and that has not been experienced since, say, 1812. Yeah. And so they call everything wars. It's a culture war. It's a war on Christmas. Yeah. Trans people is a war on women. Like yeah. nothing nothing makes sense anymore. And wars can be as simple as somebody saying, I don't like celebrating this. It's it's pathetic. Conservatives are pathetic. Well, it's the same thing that always happens, right? Like conservatives will appropriate the language of the left and then corrupt it to their own ends. And their like war on Christmas sort of false flag operation is like a direct extension of sort of increased awareness of identity, right? Because like when the identity politics conversation started, right, it actually was useful. We were talking about like intersectionality qua Kimberly Crenshaw and like it actually provided a useful framework to understand power. And then the right got its hands on it and now they're being persecuted for being, you know, white Christians. Right. And they've completely corrupted this thing that was a useful way to articulate, you know, how power operates and how people are marginalized. And now it just doesn't mean fucking anything. Yeah. I don't know what y'all are talking about. The war on Christmas is real. Have y'all not gotten your 2020 uniform in yet? Shit is fresh. Wow. We got to get out there in, and just mobilize, you know, um, obviously safely obeying social distancing of course. uh which is yeah. easy to do when you're waging war because yeah. you know <laughs> yeah. socially distant war socially uh, distanced war <laughs> yeah, obama was an innovator you guys just didn't understand <laughs> he, said, he was preparing us for this time like, with all of the bombing yeah. that's right did you guys know that the entire war on christmas literally came from bill o'reilly literally invented it a radio host wrote a book and his name was John Gibson and talking about liberals don't like Christmas because, you know, they were banning stuff like educators and local officials banning Santa or banning Christmas trees and things like that. So they wrote about it. Right. And O'Reilly uh, saw the book's title. And if you've seen the book's title, the book is The War on Christmas, How the Liberal Pot to Ban the Sacred Christian Holiday is Worse Than You Thought. And this this made Bill O'Reilly's dick rock hard. Have you ever seen one of those little door stoppers in the bathroom uh -huh. door, the little ones, and you flick yeah. it and it goes, blah, 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 blah. I figure, you know, Bill O'Reilly, we're talking like a little blah, 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 kind of effect. And he, Both in uh, terms of the sound and also appearance. Yeah. It's, it's not what I'm good. saying is he has a curly Q dick. It, it's not good, folks. <laughs> we hate to see it. Like a it's duck. Like a pig, it's like a pig's tail. Yeah. Oh, God. The, yo, <laughs> does everybody, Rachel, tell people about duck penises. Let's have a quick sidebar. Oh, duck, sure. I know tell more about this than you probably. Just to rape other ducks with. Oh, yeah, you're right. On. Kennedy, <laughs> tell us about duck penises. You're a farmer. You're a farmhand. I used to farm ducks. Is this real? Yes. That's fucking hilarious. Yes. I. How do you not know this? You've never said I used to farm ducks on this podcast. All right, All right. wait a Funny. second. All like, right. I have Hold just on. inferred that you have done a lot of hippie shit 
and left it at that. Yeah. None of it surprises me anymore. I've done a ton of farming and one of the things I used to farm was ducks. So duck penises are like a they are like a weapon. There's a whole weaponization of duck sexuality that's been going on for probably thousands of years. It's pretty distressing, really. So, uh, uh, the duck penis is long it's curly and barbed, and it's meant to try to find the true vagina because vaginas have many false cavities. Yeah, probably to stop these ducks from fucking getting in there, man. They're having an evolutionary battle. The women are like, these ducks are they're trying to fight the patriarchy, Kennedy. You probably think ducks are real cute when you see them at the park, but they are immoral creatures. That's they disgusting. are just, they are horny and not in like a fun like horny twitter kind of way not like pepe le pew is a little horny cartoon character not like you know horny stick bunk not like that but like horrifyingly horny the duck. like custer's revenge horny Cust custer's revenge horny i Rachel, that's what, that was, that's, what that's what o'reilly got down there anyway yeah, yeah on this big penis tangent bill o'reilly has a duck penis that's the end of the bit Rachel, you're the John Stackowitz of, of one-liners today. And uh, that's just an Thanks. Yeah. Uh, listen, Fox News fell just completely in war on that. You know, all of that happy holidays stuff. And they did a study, according to the New York Times article I'm reading, uh, by Fairleigh Dixon University. Watching Fox News believe increased the likelihood that someone would believe in the war on Christmas by five to ten percent. Like it's a real thing, and the and of course the churches got in on it. And this isn't from the article. This is just from my recollection of history. Yeah, the churches all love war on Christmas because it allows them to talk about Jesus, and talk about persecution, and you know, I my family, uh, I've got a Jehovah's Witness family background and um they are being i guess you, you you yeah you could fairly say the word persecuted they're being persecuted in russia and not being treated super well and those persecution stories and joe's witnesses before anybody gets in the comments of the podcast but not great as an organization but also just also being repressed by the government in russia and they love to tell those stories because they fundraise off of them and here in america we have the same thing with just any story that feels like persecution in times donate they jump on when your ideological background can be traced directly to literal puritans who fled england and invented colonizing specifically so that they could be like religious fundamentalists that everybody hated like uh you get weird shit to be fair, they didn't invent colonizing. They just invented the most horrifying version of it. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. And Rachel, Rachel, you mentioned the Puritans. Did you know the Puritans started literally the first war on Christmas? Like literally? Like when they yes. when they this took the, so good. when they got political control of the country, they were just trying to get rid of the Catholics. And so they would all go to work on Christmas. And that was one of the things that the Puritans did. And they, you know, just tried to get rid of the holiday because it was considered a Catholic holiday. And in certain cities, there were riots. There were riots in London. There were riots in uh, Ipswich, Norwich, other cities, like just across England. You know, the people were like, you, you guys get in the office and the first thing you do is ban Christmas. So maybe the Puritans have more in common with the left than you think, because we would absolutely, first thing we do, Thanksgiving's over. <laughs> we get in charge, we rip off the t-shirt, Thanksgiving is over, go home. I would say, can you imagine anyone rioting for Christmas, uh, rioting for Thanksgiving? Yes. But honestly, oh. 
Yeah, they would though. Yeah. They'll riot for anything. Yeah, honestly, I kind of can. Imagine Americans that. will riot for any fucking reason. Any fucking reason except healthcare or rights for poor or brown people. Yeah. yeah. Right. These the people who literally have gotten two hundred and fifty thousand people or sixty now, two hundred and sixty thousand people killed are uh perhaps not going to behave rationally about things like Thanksgiving. Another fucking trivia fact, Christmas has been seen as a Catholic holiday for many, many years in our history. And literally, if you lived in a big city in America, Christmas was beat the shit out of a Catholic day. Like there were <laughs> fight, no, there were fights in New York and Boston and Philadelphia and stuff between Protestants and Catholics. If you were Catholic, you were on the street being happy at Christmas. They would think, oh, this, this guy is a papist. Anti-Catholic discrimination is one of the it's weirdest the funniest. things. It's very funny. April, a resident expert in funny forms of discrimination. I feel like your eyes always light up. Because when you're talking about like Italians, you know, you know, they look kind of, they look weird. But Catholics? Wow. Catholics is, is just such a funny group to discriminate against. And I can't imagine like reading about things like the 1960 election yeah. about how Kennedy was opposed because he was a Catholic and how this was just such a, a disgrace and a, and a, a controversy. It's just yeah. very, you know, funny. I kind of, I have a certain affection for like old timey ethnic slurs. Like me too. Me too. <laughs> I am on an incredible collection of people here. You know, like there's something to be said for like the just sheer bullshit levels of like, Calling somebody a wop, you know, it sounds fun when you say it. Like it sounds That's like you're something against like, a wop, wop. Yeah, like yeah. how am I supposed to take that seriously? It sounds ridiculous. Yeah, you know, there are. I mean, I'm sure that there are people somewhere in the world who are genuinely like, if you call me a wop, I will fight you. Like, yeah, well, they're a fucking wop. So. Like there, there's some Italian woman in Jersey, no doubt. 100% in Jersey, that's booking her flight from Newark to Atlanta right now. Yeah, and, massive and, persecution complex. Yeah. She's a lot smaller than you, but she's a spitfire. You watch out. <laughs> gonna throw a shoe or something. Listen, let me tell you something. Yeah. Y'all y'all think this Italian discrimination is a joke? This is the second time I've podcasted about Italian discrimination this week on the <laughs> Sentai on the Sentai Truth Club. We watched an episode of the Power Rangers with an Italian themed pizza villain. Oh no, that's problematic. This was in the 90s, folks. That's... So this has been this anti-Italian thing. This this has been going on for a long time. People think that it's not real because it's been happening in the shadows. And, you know, people like April just get away with it. And so, they, you know, people think it's okay. They think it's funny. You know, it's funny to me, Kennedy, given that you have a mixed background of Italian and Jewish, that Italian <laughs> is what you choose to, like, actually hone in on for persecution. That is hilarious. <laughs> you know, I'm not, like, I'm not saying you can't be, you know, proud of your heritage uh, and stand in solidarity with the Italian people, but uh, between the two. Listen, some 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 of my ancestors were genocided, and some of them were called spaghetti heads, and we know which one was worse. <laughs> we know which one was worse. Kennedy, we're gonna start introducing you as an Italian rights activist. 
Please, please do not. Please do not. Can you imagine? Uh, oh, yeah, it's going to be a thing now. Uh, remember when someone was on uh, was on a phone call with, I think it was uh, Andrew Cuomo's brother, and he said that calling someone a Fredo, calling an Italian a Fredo, is morally equivalent to the N-word. No. My favorite is like, they'll always do it the same way. They'll always be like, here's the specific slur we're comparing to quote unquote the N-word, which we can't say on TV. Like, I yeah, just, never it's amazing that to way. me that like, it, they never learn. And they people, never put it together. Why people learn to compete for second place. You could say, you could say, I know it's not as bad as the N-word, but you know, we're human beings. We all feel bad. And I prefer not to be called a Karen. Most of us are voting for Biden, you know, and That's maybe fair. you make, you win more flies, you win more flies with honey than with vinegar. Did you know that flies are actually more attracted to vinegar than honey? Like they're more attracted no. to a rotting thing than a, a, something that is I good. love that yes. you come in with the farming <laughs> fact. I, I just absolutely love that. April. What's so up? so just remember that one, folks. You'll attract more flies with vinegar than honey. Be a little shit. Be a little shit. I'm on a very good website, right? Uh, here's some fun it anti-Italian racial slurs. Did you know How that did we get here? We had a plan for this episode. Did you know that <laughs> we had a, was an anti-Italian slur? We, we, we literally had a whole, we had an outline. and All right, go ahead. No, do this. I want to hear yeah, it. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> now I'm talking about how Goomba is an anti-Italian slur. What does it mean? You know what I just found out is not an anti-Italian slur, by the way? Gabagool. Literally just assumed it was a slur. I thought it was oh. like a, a, a nonsense, an Italian nonsense word. Like, uh, mm -hmm. what's happening? Wait, gabagool is a literal food. It's a meal. Yeah, it's like a type of cured meat. You've never had gabagool? No. Maybe. I don't Oh, this know. one is sending me. This one is sending me. Meatball. And the description is self-explanatory. <laughs> I was going to say about Goomba. This one really, this is hurting. I've been saying Goomba my entire life as a Mario player, not knowing that I was doing a slur. You're doing a no growth. <laughs> You're doing so much no growth. <laughs> Keep going, Leia. Imagine calling someone a grape stomper. What? <laughs> Because of the, the, the process used to make wine, you have to stomp yeah. on grapes. Listen. Wait, so this this is an anti-Italian slur? Apparently, I'll link you the website. Oh no! So you can be wow, a great. You know, stomper. the only vegetation I'm interested in stomping is a Christmas tree because I'm Jewish and therefore. Ah, uh, 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 War on Christmas keeps heating up. What other anti-Italian slurs do we got? Let, let, let's take a look at the list. I, I put the list in uh, in chat. Garlic bread. Garlic oh, no. bread. First of all, if you call me garlic bread, if I call a woman garlic bread, that's a declaration of love. Listen, there are very garlic few human good. beings. Yeah, garlic bread's fantastic. There are very few relationships that I would rank above garlic bread. Let me tell you. Garlic salami. Bread. Italian body odor is often reminiscent of salami. What? What? <laughs> what? Wait, wait. High Italians. High Italians. <laughs> well, that's just the ones that are cool. spoiled rich Italians. High Italians. High Italians. That just sounds like someone. Look at that. Look at look. I can't even do this without doing a, a, a ridiculous old timey voice. Oh, look at those uh, High Italians over there <laughs> coming up <laughs> the boat with their fancy suits. <laughs> what are those spaghetti slappers? 
I, I literally, because listen, everybody is not going to go to this freaking website, obviously. So I have to say the phrase pizza nigger out loud. Oh, God. Pizza like, first of all, I've never heard that before. But it doesn't seem like enough of an insult to Italians. It just seems like more of a way to be racist against Black people. What did we have to do with any, whatever the Italians did to you? We was just minding our own business, dog. Like, <laughs> damn. Anti-Black racism is the only racism with enough potency to make it, like, to be dragged into other racism. That's yeah, terrible. Implemented as a tool to do racism to non-Black people. other people, people right. Like, this is what, was it, was it Cuomo? Was it Cuomo that said... Anything Fredo bad. Thing? Uh, anything bad. Cuomo said it. Was it Cuomo <laughs> that said the Fredo thing? April. The Cuomo yeah. or Cuomo's brother. Yeah. Okay. So, so well, I'll just say Cuomo, and then it could be either of them, right? Um, so, like yeah. with Cuomo with the Fredo, he should have just said being called the pizza N word is equivalent to being wait, called wait, the N word, and wait. then then he would have been being relatively accurate. <laughs> There's one, there's one, there's one in this thing that says, for Italians who act black, spaghetto, spaghetto. That's a lot better. That's actually funny. I mean, spaghetto is funny, yeah. Spaghetto, you're getting But also, somewhere. like, it's not like Italy never had ghettos. This is a whole thing. Yeah, we, like, that's actually The way true. that ghetto has of course just the, been, like, Of course, the Jewish person's going to... The Jewess is going to come in here and talk about the appropriation wow. of the ghetto. Wow, you hear that? He called me a Jewess. Oof. At least call me a Yenta. I don't know. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> At least insult me in my own language. It's too bad we can never cancel Brandon. <laughs> no. But yes, go ahead. But go ahead. Oh, it's just like part of this larger pattern where like anti-blackness is so potent that it just like eclipses all other like racial tensions and gets dragged into them. Like ghetto becoming a synonym for black among racists is in fact that exact thing. Just so people true. literally hating black people extra. All right, all right, hold on. Let's keep this lighthearted. This hasn't been lighthearted. You've heard WAP. Yeah. I like Zip. That was a new one to me. You've heard WAP. How about these variations on WAP? Wonder Bread WAP. Ooh, I love a, that one. Oh, God. Wonder Bread WAP, uh, used by Italians to describe Italians who are more assimilated into North America. This is Italian on Italian Ita slur. On Ita racism. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then also Whopper. Is that you really like burgers? <laughs> uh, it's just it's just a it's just a variation on Whop. It's just right. a look at that Whopper over there. Oh God! There's a word again. You've been saying your whole life. Every time you get a burger, you didn't know you were doing a racism, but you're a racist burger eater. It's a good thing nobody <laughs> listens to the audio podcast anymore. <laughs> like right wingers who are listening right now are getting our attack plans first Christmas, then Thanksgiving, and then Italians. That, yeah, exactly. Rachel, I love that you're trying to gently steer this back. I've been trying larger, so hard. Yeah, I know. To to really just making some statements about the human condition. The human So condition. Brandon, as a black man, uh, what do you think about Christmas and the war on it? Well, you know, this year, I said this on the stream, this year is a weird year for people yeah. who indulge in commercialist holidays. Uh, like it's a time of un just unprecedented poverty. 
Mm-hmm. unprecedented yep. hunger unprecedented unemployment and just a part of me just wishes that we could all take the take the year off from all of our traditional bullshit and think of ways that we can like radically help each other survive and i don't even think that's an impossible thing i think that if this freaking celebrity class were doing fewer instagram sing-alongs and I understand we all do what comes to mind for us, but like if if they were helping put some stuff like this together in the public consciousness of maybe getting people into actually helping their communities for the first time in their life this year. Ever. Ever. Yeah. I like we used to have Live Aid. I'm not saying that let's just bring back Live Aid, but there was a like a public consciousness for human suffering. And even if it was quick and symbolic, it, it did some good for someone somewhere. I don't know. It just it just stinks that we're all trying to push through this holiday as if like, you know, we can make new tradition. We can make new traditions that our culture is just what you make of it. Yeah. On the subject of new traditions, I would like to propose that we abolish all existing holidays and replace them with a new holiday, the 21st of September. Okay. So there's just one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. This is how you get strung up in the street, Kennedys. You take everything. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, this is how the Catholics I'm revolt. About, I'm not talking about time off of work. The, the time off of work for previous existing holidays will stay grandfathered in. But only one holiday will be culturally recognized. Okay. That's fine. If we can have the 69-420 work week which is just $69 an hour, four days a week, 20 hours a week. If we can have both of those policies and there's just one holiday, then I, I think that would be fine. You know what we need? We need one holiday, but instead of being too many holidays are just one day long. Like Thanksgiving, you get a little bit of bleed over to the other day. Or this the day is a good take. This is a great take. We, we need an omni holiday. We need one holiday that's the whole year. Oh, see, I okay. was going to say, right. I was going to say we need a second holiday that's equivalent to spring break, mm. um, but it's just national and it's just something that goes for the entire week, like around August. As a Jewish person who has a much longer, you know, winter holiday, I propose we just replace Christmas with Hanukkah. Why and not then both? we just have instead of like one, maybe two days off, if you have like a really generous boss, we could have like a week off. I propose that we replace Christmas with Kwanzaa. And I don't know what Kwanzaa is. No black person does. Did you know that Kwanzaa was invented in like the 60s? Yeah, yeah. They just made it up. They were like... Like some guy was just like, we should have a holiday. And then he did that. We're just just jealous of Hanukkah. And we're like, we'll just make a black Hanukkah. Let's just I appreciate his entrepreneurial spirit. More people should just say, we don't have enough holidays and then do a holiday. We should just invent a holiday the same way that... Yeah. They just made up Kwanzaa. The left could just start just pretending a holiday is real as in, in 30 yeah. years. what It'll be kind of real. Who can stop us? Isn't that basically what happened with Labor Day? We should just yeah. turn Labor Day into a month-long celebration. Yeah, let's, not, let's go for a week. No, no, no. We have to strategize this. If we lean in and really just like accept the ridicule and being treated as weirdos for a while, eventually oh. we can get the same begrudging acceptance as other fringe holidays. <laughs> yeah, never mind. How to judge this? What month has not a holiday? Where are we putting August? It? August is the month that has August. The August. But Kennedy has just obliterated the, the entire idea. <laughs> I'm sorry. With, with dry cutting wit. We'll look look like weirdos. Not enough people will do it. No one will care. Don't worry about it. Okay, fine.
I'm just saying we could eventually get begrudging acceptance where people have, you know, the boss, your manager sighs. <sighs> All right. You can have clout week. You can have <laughs> it. Go do it. Go do it. Go. I think we could get clout week at least as popular as shark week. Yes, that sounds yeah. actually incredible. Now you've got me excited again. That's the goal we're fighting for. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get Clout Week as big as Shark Week. We got to yeah. make some good Clout Week programming. The average that's American how knows what Shark Week is and yeah. generally when it is. Because it's entertaining. But no yeah. one knows what Clout Week is in spite of it being much more important to our national heritage. <laughs> <laughs> Think about how many Americans with clout changed the course of this country. Yeah. <laughs> Where would we be without clout? <laughs> Where would we be? Listen, I want to hear everybody's predictions for what are the next steps in the war on Christmas? What's the war on mm. Christmas future look like? Uh, I think probably the requirement to make your Christmas gay inside of your house. So mm. like there will no longer be a Joseph in your nativity scene, right? Oh, they're they're lesbian. There'll be a Janet, yeah. Janet doesn't seem like a. They did not say Joseph was not trans. For all we know, Joseph was trans because it wasn't like, immaculate conception. If it was a virgin birth, why do you need a why do you need a guy? Why is he there? That's what I'm saying. Well, and also, I mean, you can just be trans. I, I have decided yeah. in my head canon that Joseph, uh, father of Jesus, well, right. not really because God was the father or whatever, stepdad to the Christ, Joseph, was in fact a trans Yeah, man. yeah, God was never there for Jesus. God was never there for yeah. Jesus. Don't, don't, don't bring biology into That's a good point. <laughs> we don't, we don't hear anything about family, fuck that. <laughs> we don't hear anything about Jesus' first 30 years, so if he wasn't raised by God... He was right. raised by Joseph, and Joseph didn't write that shit down because Joseph knew about cringe and the way cringe <laughs> works and, and the fact that, you know, people were going to post stuff on MySpace when they were 14 and it was going to haunt them forever and that that was going to happen to Jesus in the Bible. Can you imagine if there were books about 14-year-old Jesus? It would be cringe. Ultimately, Jesus is a story of found family, and what's more queer than found family? I'm 100% confident that every single person raised in the South has that specific teen Bible. And I just wanted to say, uh, in fact, that is just what the time between Jesus's birth and 30 looked like, was specifically the teen Bible. Listen, <laughs> I think the next step on the war on Christmas is just uh, changing it to Hanukkah. Yeah. Uh, it's nine days instead of, I mean, however many days we're getting <laughs> Because I, I think it runs into, I know, but I, I'm thinking it runs into the weekend. So I'm thinking does the weekend mm. count as a double, but either way. Uh, uh, so we're talking you know, about from like scheduling purposes, not yes, the holidays. A, Got yes, it. A yeah, certain okay. number, of, we're getting a big chunk of the month off. And gotcha. uh, listen, all of you folks. Don't you think for the purposes of representation, we should at least try to figure out what Kwanzaa is? Yeah, yeah, we should. We should. Kamala is out like there. There are six or seven principles of Kwanzaa. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And they're all principles. I don't know. I'm just saying, before we just call it for Hanukkah, I feel like we should at least give Kwanzaa the fair chance it deserves and find yeah. out something about it. We, we've got to do it. And yeah, it's just important to have. I would love to celebrate some more uh, extra holidays. If you'll allow me, I have the seven principles of Kwanzaa right in front of me. What do you got? Okay. Let's close the episode with this. This is perfect. Yeah. Yes. We'll learn something. 
So um, we have, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce these, unity, to strive for and maintain unity in the family, community, nation, and race, self-determination, to define and name ourselves as well as to speak and create for ourselves, collective work and responsibility, to build and maintain our community together and make our brothers and sisters' problems our problems and to solve them together. Yeah, this is Marxist as fuck. And just as you say that, I get to cooperative economics. To uh -huh. build and cooperative economics? I take it back. Cooperative economics day. This is better than Hanukkah. I take it back. We're doing Kwanzaa now. This yeah. is better than Hanukkah. Okay. I told you we needed to, to actually give a give this <laughs> uh, an election rather than just nominating a dictator and calling it no democratic process. This is what happens when you limit democracy and the ideas aren't heard. Yeah. Anyway, go I'm, on. I'm April. not even done though. All right, it's the last so, three. The the 29th day of December because each day represents a principle. The 29th day of December is Socialism Day. It's been decreed by Kwanzaa. Fuck yes. And then proceeding onwards, purpose to make our collective vocation the building and developing of our community in order to restore our people to their traditional greatness. Creativity to always do as much as we can in the way we can in order to leave our community more beautiful and beneficial than we inherited it. Faith to believe with all our hearts in our people, our parents, our teachers, leaders, and the righteousness and victory of our struggle. What the fuck? This is like. Let me tell that you, was, folks, that was really strong. It's Kwanzaa yeah, time, baby. Cool. Yeah. I'm on Team Kwanzaa. Not safe for wonks. I'm into it. Celebrates Kwanzaa. We're yeah, on Team we Kwanzaa. Do. Oh yeah, man. We sure do. The official holiday of not safe for wonks is Kwanzaa, <laughs> as of now. Right. Multiple days off. Hell yeah. Listen, listen. Yeah. Rather than take a brand new holiday from begrudging or from nothing to begrudging acceptance, let's take Kwanzaa from begrudging acceptance to mandatory. All the way to the top, baby. Mandatory participation. You have to smoke yeah. weed on Christmas holiday. Day or you are executed. <laughs> you have to kill your landlord on socialism day. <laughs> so listen, uh, thank you for watching. We're we're streaming Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We're on the YouTube, youtube.com slash uh, not safe media. We're on Twitter and SF Wonks. And listen, the Patreon. Just we're trying to grow the show during the most important period in human history. Throw us 20 bucks. It's a big thing to do. And uh, God bless. Bye-bye.